biggest games. The biggest events. The crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was the best in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. My name is Jacob Wolf, and today we actually have a special podcast live from South by Southwest with Nate Manser, the commissioner of the Overwatch League. Throughout this weekend, we'll be doing podcasts through South by Southwest and their gaming and esports event here at the Longhorn Network in Austin, Texas. Our guests include Nate and then also Sam Matthews of Fnatic and Raul Sood of Unicorn. But before we get started in our conversation with Nate, a word from our sponsors. Gamers like to customize everything, from their gaming rig all the way down to the way their characters look. And now Schick has developed a way for them to customize their shave, too. Introducing new Schick Hydro 5 Sense razors and refills. Equipped with innovative shock absorb technology, the razor auto-adjusts based on how you shave, backing off, or adding pressure when needed. Three custom gel formulas refill cartridges enable you to further personalize your shave. Available in hydrate gel with coconut oil to hydrate throughout each shave, comfort gel with herbal extracts to comfort skin, and energized shell with menthol to wake up tired-looking skin. Customize your shave with New Schick Hydro 5 Cents. Available now at Walmart for an everyday low price. For more savings, visit Schick.com. So I'm here with Nate Nancer. Uh, we're here at South by Southwest. You presented a panel today. I actually didn't get to see how did the panel go. Uh, I, think it went, I think it went pretty good. It was just me rambling for an hour, like, like usual. We, 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 we talked, uh, talked a lot about um, the development of the Overwatch League and all the things that we've done over the past year. Uh, plus... And then talked about expectations going forward. We talked a, a lot about um, uh, a lot of the hot issues in gaming right now around diversity and toxicity. And uh, it was cool to meet a lot of fans. There was a bunch of people that came up to me after the after the panel and said, uh, you know, they're, they're college soldiers or fans, and that's it's always fun to to meet fans. I think um, one of the you know being in LA this year, we're sort of super serving our LA fans and it's exciting to get out in the other markets and I can't wait till we start doing home and away in the future. Yeah, you I think you have to be like the most well-known esports commissioner, right? Like <laughs> you, if you look at like I, I know Chris over at Riot and obviously like he's a really well-experienced dude, he's a former lawyer, right? But I, I think in terms of publicity, I think you've been in that eye a lot more. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I have a good P, good PR team. Uh, <laughs> gets me a lot of cool opportunities. No, I I'll tell you, it's definitely um, a part of the job that I never really uh, anticipated or thought was going to be a big part of the job. Um, but it's something I, I got a lot of passion for doing, and I like talking to people about it, and I, I don't mind it. So looking back over the last three months, right, you've had. Two, um, or you're about to go into stage three here of the Overwatch League soon. What what are your like initial thoughts and short reflections, I guess, over the last couple of months? Yeah, I think it's overall. I think it's been uh, a really good start. I think um, the the thing that made me happiest about the launch was being at the arena on January 10th on launch day, and you know, walking around a couple hours before the show started, and nobody was freaking out. There was no last minute fire drills. Like everyone was ready. And we did the show, and it went really well. Um, like that felt really good. It was a ton of work to get to that point, uh, but everyone was ready. Everyone was, was prepared, and everybody executed really well. I think overall, I've been super pleased that most, for the most part, the reaction from press and the fans has been that everything's been really high quality, and uh, uh, I think it's been really cool to see how multiple big esports can all live and breathe together on Twitch. 
uh, and all get lots of viewership and all have you know great audiences and and hopefully no technical difficulties like that. <laughs> uh- so what's the type of feedback you've gotten from whether it be like owners, sponsors, the type of people that, you, that has come out and seen the production and also checked it online? What, what kind of feedback have you gotten from those types of people? It's all been really positive. I think the, the, the brands have had a, you know, it's really important to us to make sure our brand partners had a great experience. We've really started uh, leaning in heavily into the branded content. So we have Access Granted, sponsored by Toyota, which is a new series that just came out. Turning Point, uh, sponsored by Sour Patch Kids. We're going to be doing a lot of content with T-Mobile as well. I think those are, it feels really good, those types of activations. Uh, the content's really good. It, uh, it's, it's really cool storytelling about, you know, points and matches that turned around or the background stories around players and teams. I think fans are really into that. And it's, it's you know, feels more authentic than just putting a logo on a broadcast. I think brands overall have been really, really happy. Um, uh, I think... Uh, uh, owners have also, by and large, been you know really happy and satisfied. I think uh, everybody had different expectations for what viewership would be out of the gate. I think for for the most part, everyone's really really pleased. Um, I, I think it you know it proves that there's a, a big audience on online for this content, and uh, gamers like to watch really well professionally produced content. I mean, I even noticed my own habits like. Um, uh, South by Today and Christina from E-League had a panel and I find myself watching E-League all the time because it's, it's just good content, right? It's really yeah. well-produced, entertaining to watch. Um, I think fans fans recognize that and they gravita- gravitate towards it and it's exciting to see uh, uh, how much energy there is around all esports right now. I think there's this mentality, it seems, uh, from from some folks that like, Esports is like a zero sum game or something, and there's a finite audience that wants to watch this content. But I think, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're proving you tune in to Twitch on a Saturday and you got Overwatch League's got 150,000 viewers and NALCS has 150,000 viewers and the Dota tournament has 100,000 viewers and there's 200,000 people watching Ninja. And I mean, there's tons and tons of fans out there that want to engage with this content. So I think you're starting to see esports organize similarly to traditional sports where you have some, you know, sort of tier one leagues and then you have uh, a bunch of other leagues that can all coexist and all of those things can coexist under the broad umbrella of uh, esports. So one thing I've heard a lot of praise about uh, for the Overwatch League that, and Activision Blizzard as a whole is, is you mentioned sponsors and I, uh, a lot of the deals I've heard about that are around the Overwatch League, whether it be HBO Men or Intel, that mm-hmm. they are 2x, sometimes even 3x the size of some of these other esports leagues deals. Mm-hmm. Like you all have done, uh, and I think that's a byproduct of hire, hiring some of the people that you have, both from internally in the space that have sold mm-hmm. esports sponsorships before, but also some of the people, like you announced today, that yeah. come from elsewhere and they understand sports business as a whole. Yeah. Internally, though, there was a lot of discussion, I remember, towards the beginning of the league when you first started selling franchises about revenue sharing, exactly when that would happen, what your goals were. Looking now, after having launched the league, mm-hmm. sold those pretty sizable sponsorships, yeah. when do you think you're like on track to start like revenue sharing and, and yeah. that starts when everybody's kind of all makes money, just yeah. the league and the teams too? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, what I would say on that is we're definitely ahead of schedule in terms of revenues. Uh, I think we've had some great successes early on uh, and we're really excited about seeing where it goes. I think, you know, we announced today we hired some new executives joining the team and a new chief revenue officer is joining us from the NBA, a guy named Brandon Snow, who we're really excited about. Um, you know, I think we're, so we're definitely ahead of schedule on that front. I think there's, 
the success that we've had, I think you can attribute it to, you know, we've, we've really sort of pointed the company at this and we've made a, a big effort that, um, this is not a thing we're going to do to market the game of Overwatch. This is a con- very conscious effort to build a standalone business around the sport of Overwatch and, uh, and then, you know, other games as well in the future potentially. And so I think it's, it's just a matter of focus. I, I don't, I don't think it, um, I think other games can be super successful in this space too, uh, and selling sponsorships and, and driving revenue. I think you, you have to, you have to focus on it. You have to come up with what the compelling pitch is. Look, I think, I think the audience around esports is one that, Brands uh, are are dying to get in front of. Um, uh, you know, you guys at ESPN published a report a couple of years ago, and it's only getting worse. Like the average age of Major League Baseball's fans fifty six, the average age of an NFL fan's forty nine, average age of a Overwatch League fan is early twenties. Uh, it's pretty simple pitch. I think that's that's slide one of the pitch deck. Uh, and I think there's uh, you know, it's not just the young audience, but it's super engaged. Uh, you know, they're uh, very loyal to the brands they like. They spend a lot of money on brands they like. So I think the, the story to advertisers and, and potential sponsors is a good one. And, you know, we owe it to our fans that when we do these deals that we activate on them in an authentic way and a way that they're going to feel good about and is going to add value for them too. So how has that impacted all the conversations about potentially getting more people involved, uh, other teams, more franchises in the future. How is yeah. being ahead of revenue schedule and having, I guess, more proof to the pudding to the Overwatch League now yeah. than when you did it a year ago? How has that impacted that conversation? Totally. Well, I mean, I think we're, we're going to kick off the expansion sales process here pretty soon. Um, the principal difference is last year we were selling a, the vision and a concept, and this year we're selling uh, what is a, a new but you know successful out-of-the-gate product with real numbers and not just in terms of revenue, but real numbers in terms of viewership and how that's trending. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a, a, a different process than it was last year. We have a, a lot of people uh, who are really interested in, in, in coming to us this year. And I, I think, you know, our, our core principles are going to be the same. We're going to look for great uh, owners and operators that we think are going to have uh, an awesome either existing capability or an awesome plan to build that capability to build a team in a local market. So how do you pitch investors that don't necessarily have the the American or, or Middle Eastern mindset that, you know, I mean, talked about this on this podcast before, but generally, like, Americans and Middle Eastern investors tend to, like, be a little bit more risky with their money. They like to put up a lot more money a lot quicker, and they like to invest in tech products, right? And mm-hmm. this is essentially kind of a tech product for them. But for European investors, Asian investors, right, it's not necessarily the same. The, the mindset and the way that people invest is different. How do you intend to pitch those types of people when you, and you get in front of rooms with them differently yeah. than you and pitch a lot of the people that are already in your league. Yeah. Well, I think, I think all the things we just talked about are, are going to help a lot with that. The fact that we have, you know, we don't have uh, just a theoretical financial model anymore. We have actuals that we can talk through and we can talk about not just what we're delivering now, but what's in the pipeline and where, where we see things trending over time. Um, you know, where, what our actual audience is, how many viewers we have, where they're from. So I think all of those concrete details is really going to help a lot with, um, uh, telling the story to potential investors. And we're excited to start doing that soon. Is it true there's a player density requirement for Overwatch players within a certain city for that or region to be considered uh, for Overwatch League franchise? Uh, no, there's there's no requirement. But I, I think we 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 look at obviously we want to put uh, teams in markets where there's lots of Overwatch players. Like that's just you know it's smart business. So what markets do you think those include? Uh, yeah, I mean, which uh, ones have you not sold? I mean, oh. 
Yeah, so I think, you know, we, like we've always said, we want big markets in the Overwatch League, right? Like we really, and it, and it might vary by region, you know, like I said, we want markets where there's a lot of Overwatch players. Well, if you look at a, a region like Southeast Asia, as a region, certainly smaller than, you know, China or Korea, but still is one that, that's growing really fast. And so maybe it makes sense to have a team there, even if there's fewer players, because the market opportunity is big. But we look at, um, uh, within, within Asia, obviously, you know, Beijing, Guangzhou, and, and China, uh, maybe, you know, Busan and Korea, maybe Tokyo, uh, as being really big markets in Europe, obviously Paris, you know, Berlin, uh, Amsterdam, Stockholm, uh, Manchester, Madrid, like all, all uh, big markets. Like you, you, you that, that's where we want to be. Uh, we think that makes the most sense. And so, you know, we're going to start kicking off conversations about those, about those soon. I think we definitely want to make sure that we're adding additional teams in Europe and Asia, uh, and continuing to balance out the league as best we can. It doesn't mean we won't sell additional teams in North America, uh, but our focus is definitely on, on Europe and Asia, uh, for season two. So for people that are unfamiliar, don't get to see behind the curtains, don't get to talk to a lot of the people like both of us do, obviously. Uh, can you take them through, in short, what like a pitch meeting to those types of people look like? Like, what do you present? What, yeah. what are your talking points? Yeah. What, what do you try to hit on? So, you know, we, I, the, the, the great thing is, I think, the amount of uh, Esports 101 that we do these days is uh, greatly diminished. Um, most investors have... You know, if, if somebody's taking a meeting with us about uh, buying an esports franchise, they've done their homework and they and they know what esports is, and they know what Overwatch is, and they know what Activision Blizzard is, and they have a pretty good understanding of the landscape. Um, there's enough information out there. You know, you spend a couple of days on the internet listening to podcasts and reading articles and things like that, and get, get up to get up to speed. Um, so we we don't do a lot of that. We sort of it's a lot about um, talking through what our vision is. Um, talking through uh, what we've built and what we will continue to build, uh, talking through you know our progress to date and where we think that trends, and then talking through the structure and what ultimately the process will be in terms of acquiring the team, and then you know like any sales process after initial meeting we have a diligence process that includes you know operational diligence, financial diligence, legal diligence, and uh, we expect that you know that process will. Will happen over the over the course of uh, the next uh, several months. So we're going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we'll have more from Nate, and then uh, yeah, stay tuned. If you like the esports podcast, make sure to give us a like or a review on whatever social media platform is best for you. On iTunes, make sure to give us a review. We always read them, and they're really really helpful to us. And we always like the star ratings. And now we're on Spotify as well, too. So if you're listening to this on the ESPN app or you're listening to this on ESPN.com, you can find us there as well and subscribe to us if you're a Spotify user. Appreciate you listening. And now back to Nate. So welcome back to the Esports Podcast. I'm, I'm here with Nate Nancer. Uh, so let's talk about some of the other things that have happened in the Overwatch League. You've actually, surprisingly, to me at least, you've had to levy a lot of punishments in the last couple of months, I think. Did you have a framework before coming into the league of how you handle those sort of things, disciplinary, and how they go through the process at, at Blizzard and, and how they're eventually levied, I guess, from the commissioner seat? Yeah, so, I, you know, we we did. We, we were pretty thoughtful about uh, how we developed the code of conduct in that process. I mean, having a code of conduct is pretty standard thing in the sports league. Our code of conduct is incredibly standard as well. Um, and what we talked through was that we would have a process where, you know, it's not just me sitting in my office. We have a, a group of folks that uh, if there's something that happens that we, that we think is uh, a punishable offense under the code of conduct, the group of us gets together and talks about it. Uh, we weigh, um, you know, 
what the infraction was, the severity of it, whether or not it's that uh, individual's first offense or if it's the, if they've had multiple offenses. Um, and then we come up with, you know, sort of a, uh, we'd like to, in general, have a escalation path where it's, you know, could start with a warning or a fine, escalates to a fine, escalates to a fine and suspension. Um, we've, we've wanted to be very thoughtful about how we do discipline and make sure that players have a path to redemption. Uh, the stiffest penalty we've handed out was Sato for boosting, which is a 30-game suspension, which uh, the the severity of the boosting, you know, uh, was was really what warranted such a stiff penalty. And, you know, boosting is one of those things where there's a big difference between playing on your friend's account for a couple days versus charging people lots of money and doing it as a, a business. So that's why you see differences in those types of penalties. Um, and then basically what happens is we uh, write up a letter uh, that we send to the player and we say, here's what happened, here's uh, what the penalty will be, and here is the date and time by which you need to let us know if you want to have a conversation about it. Um, so we, we never just levy a penalty and post it on a website and say too bad uh we always give the player an opportunity to come to us and we've actually had uh, cases um you know we don't talk about this stuff publicly but we, we've had cases where uh, a player has replied to that email and said hey yeah i'd like to discuss it and so we got together and discussed it and we've actually lessened or removed the penalty altogether so uh there that's the process that goes in place and then once that time passes and a player doesn't get in touch with us and say that they or say that they want to uh, have a conversation about it then we make it public and publish it on the website and it goes it goes forward and then all the fines uh, the the proceeds are dedicated uh, donated to charity you mentioned previous offenses right and obviously xqc is the easy one to go he had one offense in the overwatch league he had second um now but do you take historical context as well? Obviously, there there are some players in your league that have cheated in other games. There are players in your league that have had bad behavior before the Overwatch League existed. Do you take that into consideration when making those types of penalties, or do you just go what we've seen in the last three months? We, I think we've made a decision to start with when the league started, as you know, um, that's the moment when players have signed the code of conduct and they've said that they'd adhere to it. Like going back and punishing people rec- retroactively for things they did long ago doesn't seem like the right way to do it. So we sort of started from uh, when the league started. You know, we had a uh, player summit that happened before the preseason started. So we had all the players out in Burbank. They were all given the code of conduct. We had uh, we explained it in the meeting. Uh, we did a Q&A on it. I, I literally took a chair up on stage and sat there with a the microphone and answered questions for as long as the, the guys wanted me to. Um, we also had media training and, and, and other uh, uh, stuff. We had you know representatives from Twitch and Facebook and Instagram and folks like that coming out and talking to the players. Um, this is a really cool event, and it, it's something that we'll continue to do and invest in. You know, I, 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 I there's no way for me to put myself in uh, our players' shoes. I've never been on a stage like that and I, I I totally get that going from uh you know maybe not many people knowing who you are to now you're famous and playing professional video games is is, is a big jump but um I'd also say that you know all we really ask of players is to act professionally like we we've we've really uh gone through a lot of effort like we wanted to be very thoughtful about when we were designing the Overwatch League how do we make it one where if you're a pro gamer 
no matter what game you play, it's like it's the league you aspire to be into, be in because we, they treat the players the best. And I think we're for a league in its first year with the minimum salary we have and the way our contracts work and benefits. Like we've really tried our best to make it a, a league that's where it's great to be a player in, and uh, we treat the players very professionally. We have a lot of infrastructure in place. So we have a, a whole team on our league ops team that we call player relations coordinators that are sort of the first contact point for players if they need anything. We have you know, special customer service contacts that they, if they have any issues with accounts and things like that. So we, we treat them very professionally and in turn we, you know, all we expect is that they act the same way. Um, and it, it's, we don't think it's too much to ask. So you mentioned like media training and, and everything else you did with them at that player summit. Do you think there's more that you can do to, I guess, ease them into that transition, right? Like being held to that very high yeah. standard of conduct, but basically just being like, many of them very socially awkward and, and yeah. now are on the internet and are these very, very yeah. famous invisible people? Is there a way you can ease them better into that, you think? Well, uh, look, I'd say everything in the Overwatch League we could always do better and improve. I would say um, uh, what I take issue with is I don't I don't think it's a high standard of I think our expectation is that you treat people the way you'd want to be treated. Um, it's not a high standard of concept, conduct. I think one of the things that I think is very interesting um, around the space right now in general that hasn't really been a thing earlier on in esports. Um, now that esports is really reaching scale, and now that you have platforms like Twitch and YouTube that are used so much, and if you look at, um, you know, if you spend any time, go go find a twelve year old in the street. I promise you, all they do is watch other people play video games on those platforms when they're not playing themselves. Yep. And um, you know, six hundred fifty thousand people are watching. Ninja and Drake and those guys play Fortnite last night. Like I promise you there was thousands of kids watching that and I promise you thousands of them woke up this morning and said I want to be Ninja when I grow up. And I know that's not like necessarily what Ninja yeah. wants, but that's the reality of the situation, right? Like you, like when there's that big of a spotlight on you doing a thing and it's a really cool thing that you're doing, people are going to look up to you and and want to be you and I, and I think that that doesn't mean that players need to be perfect and it doesn't mean that they need to act like role models and there's probably like a I don't know Charles Barkley joke in there somewhere um, but uh, it, it is something that they really need to think about and if you think about the larger issue of toxicity and games and you know take one circle out from that it's really like an internet problem right it's not just a games problem I think it's like incumbent upon all of us who play games and all of us who are part of these communities to do our best when we're playing and we're chatting and we're part of these communities to make it a welcoming, inclusive place for everybody. That's the only way the problem gets solved is if we all play a little part in it. And I think if you're a pro gamer in a league like the Overwatch League or LCS or if you play CSGO and you got, have these big spotlights on you, like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on what you do. Um, and the goal for us as a league, if we are... Uh, uh, punishing someone for behavior, the goal of doing that is to prevent that behavior from happening again in the future. Like that's the that's the goal. And at the end of the day, we want we're we're trying to build a league where uh, over time we can grow viewership, we can grow value, and all of that is going to be result in amazing opportunities for these players uh, and for everybody involved in the ecosystem. And and we think in order to, to do that in a professional way, in order to make sure that we continue to have uh, amazing professional owners like the 12 we have, want to invest in this and create awesome infrastructure around these players and build them into stars and give them everything we need, like, I don't think it's too much to ask that we, we say, like, hey, we want you to act like a professional in return. So I appreciate you kind of, like, explaining your process and, and how a punishment process goes through because I... This last XQC punishment, the most recent one, um, he was very 
public, I think, about mm-hmm. a lot of what was going on. I remember him posting in the Fuel Discord and saying, like, I'm probably going to get suspended or maybe banned, and that means I'm going to step down from the Fuel. One thing he did say that stuck out to me was he said that the league had asked the Fuel, and this is his own mm-hmm. words, to bench him until a suspension or whatever punishment yeah. was levied. Was that true? Or no. it, we, we, yeah, we don't. We've never had a conversation with the team about what to do with their roster. Like, that's the domain of the team. Uh, the league doesn't get involved in that stuff. Got it. So, w- at what point do you, like, at what point do you consider a player unable to be reformed, I guess? Well, I, I, I've yet to see it. I mean, I think, I, here's a great example. Um, DeFran uh, is a guy that had some issues prior to the Watch League, and he got banned multiple, multiple times uh, from not even like from a tournament, like literally got banned from the game. And he's recognized he had a problem. He got help. He's got some great infrastructure around him. Um, uh, he's got a, a, a team of people around him that's really helping him get better. And he's like streaming all the time and playing great and hitting number one on the EU ladder and uh, getting good viewership on stream and like seems like he's really turned it around. I think that's an awesome story and I hope he continues to to trend up like that. I don't think anyone's irredeemable. Um, and and by you know I, I would say there's no like we we've even the 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 thirty game Sato punishment was one where there's still like he's gonna play in stage four. Like there's a path there and hopefully he's turned it around and learns his lesson and doesn't do it again. Um, so I, I don't, I think everybody, uh, deserves a second chance and even a third chance. Like, I, you know, I really, really like, I see, um, so I grew up like my whole life growing up, I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Like that's what I thought I wanted to be. And, uh, uh, like I wanted that more than anything. And I see when I meet, pro gamers I, I see that same thing in them that i that i had and i i think um for me i want to try to facilitate that as much as possible um you know every uh, player that has had an issue i i mean i i write the notes let me know if you want to talk like i'm 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 there i'm accessible i've had multiple conversations with uh players we've 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 talked about of like hey like you know let's try our best here. Let's clean it up. Like stuff like that. Like there, I think we're very open and accessible as a league and a team, um, not just like the league team, but the game team too. So, uh, I really want these guys to be successful. I think, uh, and, and gals too. Now that we have Gaguri in the league, which is very exciting. Hopefully she'll be, uh, be here next week. Um, but what, uh, one of the jobs that I see as commissioner of the Overwatch league is to make sure that our players have, you know, everything they need to be as successful as they can be and we'll continue to strive to do that. So I did want to ask about Vigari actually. What type of impact culturally, both on the game and also in just generally in yeah. sports, do you think her involvement in the Overwatch League will have when she gets here and she is on camera and she's yeah. playing on stage? I, I think it, I think it's going to be great. I, I hope um, it will inspire uh, a lot of other uh, young girls to, to, to get into competitive gaming and um, I hope that, um, I really hope that, you know, everybody around the Overwatch League does their best to make it a welcoming place. Um, you know, chat can be rough, rough sometimes. Indeed. Uh, and again, back to my point, like I, I think everybody who's a part of these communities, not just our community, but all esports communities, this is not like an Overwatch League problem, right? It's a, 
It's an internet problem. And I, I hope that, I mean, if everybody does a little bit to try to be a little bit better, look, I, trust me, I get it. I, I also play video games. There's times I get frustrated. Uh, I definitely smashed my helmet on the ground after I struck out when I played baseball <laughs> when I was growing up. Like, I totally get it. Like, this is, at the end of the day, this is sports. It's competitive. Like, there's frustrations. Um, uh, and that's totally fine. But there's ways to do that in a, in a way that's, uh, productive. And then there's ways to do it in a way that's counterproductive. And, uh, want to make sure that we're giving our players tools to channel their frustrations in a positive way. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I hope you have a safe trip getting back to Los Angeles. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's great to be with you, and uh, let me know. Uh, next time Next time I'm in Bristol, I'll stop by, and we'll do it again. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.